Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 60. Um, we are um, really excited to do a, a fairly well recap, um, have some awesome guests. Um, everyone here has saw the Chicago shows except for me and Brad, so we'll just ask questions and let you guys talk. Um, and we have, for the first time, Tanya, who's at Fractal Gal. Hey, Tanya. Hey. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. 
And, sure, yeah, thanks for having me. And we have Scott, who's at Tour Tweet, and Craig Chilwig, and Jonathan at Roj. All, all you guys have been been on before, of course. Um, thank you guys all for joining, and thanks um, Scott and Craig for um, for taking the time and joining us tonight. Good to be thanks. here. Hi, RJ. Hi. <laughs> um, so it's this is interesting because Brad, I think Brad and I consider ourselves to be deadheads. Like we were listening to the dead before we listened to fish and we love the dead, but we never got to see them or were able to really understand the scene in a real like concrete way. So I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you who I know have seen, have seen shows and, and are also real fish fans. And this is just such a interesting momentous occasion. I don't, I don't know if we can do it justice, but we will, um, we'll do our best. Um, and I think this, um, you know, you all were at Chicago, but we're going to discuss Santa Clara a bit too, and um, play some songs from from both of those uh, runs of shows. So, um, looking forward to some good good conversation. Um, I think we just want to kick it off by asking you guys, you know, those of you who have all of you have seen the dead and seen fish, and you know, made the decision to go here. What what you're sort of um, you, what you were anticipating, and then what you um, what sort of a big takeaway you had um, that may be, you know, the same as what you're expecting or, or totally different? Oh, I'll, I'll, that's such a good question because that's, you know, kind of every day I've had, you know, a different series of thoughts about this whole thing. Um, but kind of what I was thinking about earlier this afternoon was how it really evolved. The expectations and the anticipation was, you know, it's a fantasy. It's Trey with, you know, with, with Phil Bobby, uh, Billy and Mickey like that's so amazing you know just looking forward to the amazingness of it and the bliss and all of that and you know and, and got the mail order tickets and you know made all grand plans like all the way back in January and just like excitement pure excitement and then uh, and then had some circumstances the week leading up that really that changed kind of who I was going to be hanging out with but still you know um, you know went for it and then the first night was pure fire really really fun and hanging out with old friends and then as uh, as the weekend progressed, it got like way deeper than that. And then my takeaway is such a different set of emotions than the anticipation of the fun and the bliss and the party, uh, almost opposite, you know, did a one eighty. Interesting. You, guys. you mean, you mean that you were expecting it to, what, what was, what was the, what was the post show emotions and how were they different? Was it, were you happier or well, more sad or? everything no everything you know it was just it was the whole gamut of emotions um in addition to the bliss and the fun and and all of that stuff I mean you know (laughs) cried a bunch it was very moving and it was moving not in a sad way um you know every time I uh I sat up in the spaceship the second two nights um which I was kind of avoiding the first night I I had a good section close up first night some of there um uh really good vibe and not so close that it was overwhelming, but, you know, definitely still there and a really good crowd of people around us. Um, but every time they showed Trey on the screen, it was just, it moved me. It was just, um, it was more than how amazing he was. It was the honor and reverence that he um, conveyed in his music and the way that he seemed to make the other guys on stage feel was, was it was more than just a whole lot more than just a party. It was very it was very moving and, and inspirational. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Well said. Scott or Craig or Jonathan, what do you, what, what are you, what were your takes? Well, uh, I just like to say ditto. 
Perfect. <laughs> what it comes down to is like for the last 30 years, I've been imagining something amazing like this, you know, and I couldn't have possibly imagined it being so good. I really did think it was smooth the whole way through. So it was a pleasure. And yeah, it definitely got sad at points. So, um, especially that addicts, you know, Craig, were you at the addicts in Landover? No. I think no. he might be on me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, so that was tough because that's never been like a huge song for me. And, you know, sometimes weird stuff like that happens. It's like, oh, okay. I was just waiting for this moment. So, <clears throat> but it was really, it was really perfect, I thought. Wow. Nice. Craig, yeah, think, go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, I was going to say, I think Tanya covered it pretty well. I mean, I was, I was excited and determined that I would be there the minute it was announced. And, um, I was just giddy and I'd been waiting for this sort of thing forever, just a, just like uh, Scott said. And and then uh, when it finally happened, you know, we heard the Santa Clara shows and we were like, okay, you know, it's a little ragged but right kind of thing. It wasn't, uh, it, there there was some rehearsal to be done, I think. And uh, by the time we got to Chicago, though, it was just from moment one with Box, it was just on. And then... Yeah, and then there were uh, tears leaking out of the face, and um, and it, but it was just it was so wonderful and happy. Um, you know, I knew going in there, I, I it was this was not a Grateful Dead show, but it really, I really felt by the time we were leaving there that I'd just seen as close to one as I'm have been able to see in twenty years. Yeah. That's awesome. And Craig, you had a slightly different journey in getting to the shows in that you weren't going to go for a while and then you decided to. And I don't know if, if, if your sort of expectations changed as it got closer or not, but I'd love to hear your take. I only went the middle night. We decided to go kind of last minute uh, tickets we got uh, during a re-release and then childcare and a whole bunch of other things that needed to came, come together came together all at once in the right way. So we jumped on it and we, we flew in day of show, you know, always uh, a no, no when you get to be my age. And, uh, but we rallied and, and we went uh, Saturday night, the fourth. And, you know, I think I had pretty moderated expectations because, you know, we've seen the core of this band play a lot as further with Weir and Phil and Chimenti. Um, and we knew it was going to be um, pretty interesting to see how Trey handled the material. Although, you know, from all reports, he was locking himself in a room and 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 giving it a really good study. So, uh, I I did expect Trey to really kill it, and I think he did. But in terms of um, how the music was going to sound, how how it was going to feel, I think you know it was pretty close to further with Trey as a guitar player and, and Hornsby on top of it. Uh, you know, Joe Russo is a great drummer. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it wasn't, you know, a worlds of improvement, um, going from say Russo to, to Billy with Mickey. But in terms of, uh, for the one night that I was there being there, uh, in the, in the venue, feeling the show, that was as closest as I'd come since 95 to that feeling of being in the venue for a Grateful Dead concert with Jerry of any of the incarnations 
that I've seen, you know, since then. So in that way, it definitely exceeded my expectations. Awesome. And I mean, there's so much I want to ask you guys, because you guys have been able to experience both of these scenes. Um, I guess first, just from like a, from a fish fans perspective, looking at, you know, obviously this is like Ken Trey, you know, Ken Trey carried the, carried the torch. And then what does this mean for, there's a lot of talk after the shows. What does this mean for fish? You know, like, which I don't know, my opinion might be different than yours, but I'd love to hear, I guess that first, just what do you guys what do you guys, how do you guys think Trey did? What did Trey do for this for this um, set of shows? How did how did he change it? Um, and do you think there are any implications on you know how Fish will play this year or or what they'll play or how they'll jam or anything like that? Scott, do you want to start? Sure. Sorry, I had my mic off. Um, I gotta tell you, man. Like, I don't think it's going to confuse the Fish tour at all. I, I don't really see like them. Maybe they do one or two silly things, you know. I don't know. I just don't expect them to, like, incorporate the dead thing. It's just not their style. And, 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 and honestly, it'd be kind of lame. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean it, like, mean, but, you know, like, these guys are going to keep playing. They're talking about a tour in the fall, you know. So it's like, why are you going to, you know, do something that somebody's just going to do again when you just did it? And it was so good the way they did it. So, I don't know, maybe, like... Ah, it's so funny. Maybe Shakedown or something really funny and fun. You know, that's just like whatever. But I, I just don't expect it. Um, I do think this, though, man. I think that from what I could see on Twitter, there were a lot of deadheads that were kind of getting Trey. Or whether they were getting him or not, they were definitely, like, excited about, like, his style of play. And they were, they were like, feeling that he super respected Jerry. So... I think that, you know, if you look at like the old, let's say we look at a group, a grouping of deadheads and we call that the hundred percent, I'd say 15 to 30% of them are going to try to catch a show this tour. So, you know, there could be another thousand people, you know, like at the shows, like a lot older, which is, you know, really good with Craig and me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, Not me though. I left it, babe, don't worry about it. Um, but, uh, I just, you know, I really, I hope for it because, and, you know, there was a conversation about, you know, how young deadheads are accepted and, you know, there's this constant Twitter banner that goes on and let's, let's face it, man, us fish fans, we get a little feisty, you know, and I, you know, I'm sure I can speak for Tanya and Craig and John and say, Hey, this was like a really inviting, inclusive, like, like friendly community, even if it was bad at times, like there was a lot of bad shit going on as we know, but I just think that, you know, it would be cool for these people to come in and be cool for the fish heads to kind of welcome them and write on, man, what did you think of the Chicago stuff? And, you know, this is what this song does and this is what that song does. And sorry about these lyrics, you know, like just to <laughs> get them, get them like, you know, just stoked on it properly. So I, I do think there's going to be an influx of deadheads at least a little bit. And I think it's going to be great for all of our community for sure. Yeah. I um, totally agree. Um, whether or not they end up playing any Grateful Dead songs, I don't even think matters. Um, I definitely don't have a crystal ball. I think it would be 
kind of cool and more fish like to you know do like a like an Alabama opener or like a cream puff war like one of the quick fun ones you know that that Trey got to lead um, that'd be awesome I'm not really expecting it but you know it's fish so you, you never really know what's going to happen but I think that the implications for um, you know the spaces that he finds in the music it's very exciting I mean he just did all that studying and all that practicing and all that playing and had this huge experience. So I think that, you know, I, I definitely have some, uh, wow, uncharacteristic for a fish head to have, like, high expectations for the tour. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, that we're going to find some, you know, some creative spaces, you know, that, that we haven't seen before, you know, just because of the work he had to do to prepare. I, I agree with both of those points. I mean, Trey's, Trey's put in so much work that there is no possible way it's not going to be audible in his play with fish you know and he may not play a dead song i would vote for cream puff war also um or bro jimmy he could bring that back at Meriwether. um <laughs> but um he uh you know he he put in so much work that we don't you know i think a lot of people doubt his practice uh with fish and have been doubting it over the past few years and you know, there's there's no question that he's he's been rehearsing like crazy this year and uh, it's it's going to pay off and his his sound that he took to these shows is different it was different than what he's been doing on stage with fish or his own band for the past few years so uh, i think that's going to bleed in as well and and the crowd thing that scott mentioned i think is is absolutely on point you know the the audience in the grateful dead scene and this is probably a, a, a significant portion of why I felt like I was at a dead show more than I have in 20 years, just as Craig said, is, is that the audience is, it's, it's different. You know, there are definitely kind people and, you know, it's easy to make friends in a fish audience, but at the same time, fish audiences uh, click off a little more hard. They, they, people focus on their groups a lot more Whereas I've, I always found with the dead audience, no matter where I sat, I felt like I was sitting with a bunch of friends, like anywhere I sat. And, and I, I encountered that in Chicago. And um, I really hope some of those people are coming on to tour. I definitely talked to people at, at Chicago who were like, you know, I was, uh, I'm, I met a guy from Asheville, Scott. He's like, I've been watching Warren Haynes for years and I thought, sure, he would get the, get the tap for this. And I wasn't sure about this Trey Anastasio guy. And man, he's just great, man. I, I, he was, he was, you know, people just enthused about his playing that really came in skeptical. And, uh, so I think we'll be seeing them. Nice. Craig, what do you, what's, what about you? Uh, for me, seeing Trey play with this band, it was, I mean, as a, it was auditorily confusing at first because I mean you can you can start to try to break it down and you say okay well how much is just is this just Trey how he plays guitar and how much of this is 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 fish music and when you hear Trey play in other in other um, environments outside of of his band or fish um, you, you get a glimpse of that but on the other hand, it's the same thing with Jerry. There's just little these little Jerryisms, and if you if you study Jerry and you listen to how he plays, 
and you really listen hard, you, you recognize how, how cool he really was when he played guitar and the things that he came up with in the songs. And you hear, you hear Trey playing these little licks, these little triplets here, or these fills or things, and you can tell that Trey had studied really, really hard, but it was still Trey... And you would also still hear, you know, little snippets of, of what you would think is fish, but it's really just Trey and how he plays guitar. Yeah. And it was really um, messing with me for a while until I got <laughs> used to it and, and just started to, to try to think past it and let it go. But uh, it, he, he has to, I think, bring it back something to fish. I mean, one, one lesson with fish is... Anytime they stray outside of the box of what fish is, they they bring a little bit of that back to fish with them. So whether it was Halloween albums, Talking Heads, uh, Velvet Underground, any of those things, um, they bring that back into fish and incorporate it into what fish is doing then. So I have to think that we're going to see, at least from Trey, some of those little Jerryisms maybe creep into his music and it should be pretty cool that's awesome well i mean i think and from the from the opposite perspective like fish fans who never got to see the dead i think um i've talked to several friends who went who who never got to see the dead and brad and i were three months sort of uh late because we saw our first fish shows in fall 95 that was the first time we could like drive to concerts and you know if they had been around in 96 we would have seen them you know so that's like it's something we thought we've talked about a lot but a lot of friends I've talked to who never got to see them who were at Chicago said, you know, this is this is just they, they felt like they got the real experience. I mean, just from the idea of a stadium show to, you know, be singing Not Fade Away with 70,000 people to um, I've heard a couple of people say like what you guys were saying, the intentions of the crowd and, and of the scene being just sort of more pure and more um, more optimistic and more friendly than than fish even, which is interesting so it seems like those are some common threads but for you guys who had seen the dead were there any moments during these shows or the shows that you saw that where you thought like this this feels like a dead show musically or or just you know in the lot or whatever like did you ever get that feeling like this is this actually is um this is this reminds me of of what i've seen before yeah, it took me eight hours to get in and out of the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> you know, first night was just, it took us two hours to get to our hotel on foot, and uh, 90 minutes of it was getting the first, you know, half a mile from the stadium. Uh, but the second night and third night, we uh, we positioned ourselves and went to the right, went straight out to the north and cut right over to the river or lake. Yep or whatever that exactly. body of water is and then we got out pretty quickly but yeah that felt very familiar um. <laughs> but uh but but rj to just really quickly speak on that like um i felt all three nights there was a moment or two or three or four in in like one night where it got so like good like just enjoyable to like to my ears um auditorially pleasant as it were, um, that, uh, that I really felt like I was like, like he would spiral the right way or start like a jam the right way. And it was just like, it was just, it was so good that it like faked me into thinking that I was really like having a dead moment, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there were other times, I got to say, that I felt like I was having a fucking fish moment. Like, I, I, during playing. Dear playing, one of the, one of the gems I, yeah, definitely gets song, there. I forget what else. Maybe even Scarlet or something. But, man, it got, like, fishy. You know, like, so, so, th- so that was really cool. But, you know, I do understand what Craig's saying. I definitely, you know, it's always been the same way with all the post-dead stuff, which is just post-Grateful Dead stuff, which is, you know, it's just sometimes it bothers me how fucking confusing it gets. And, you know, I, I love John Cadillac. I think Darkstar is really cool, too. But, you know, I-, I just, it wasn't comfortable for me hearing him play. So, I, you know, I didn't pay enough attention to it. I love Phil and Friends when they do, like, stuff different than the dead, but that was the dead, you know, with Warren and Jimmy. And so I, you know, but like, I understand why it was confusing, but for definite moments, I was like, wow, this is amazing as a dead show, you know? Nice. Well, you know, another thing that made it, I mean, to me, it didn't feel like I knew it wasn't, I don't know. It, it was the same and it wasn't same. It's like, is this the real thing or is it close enough to pretend, you know? But but the thing that made it different than other, like, further or fish or Phil and Friends experiences is the people. Because people came out of the woodworks for this event, you know? I had, I mean, oh, my God. So, you know, they're like, family members, you know, friends I haven't seen since 1992 who live all over the country, who, like, so the, the gathering of people was beyond um, anything I've experienced, you know, since, since the early 90s. So that, that definitely made, made a difference. Um, that was pretty amazing. That's I awesome. Don't know if you guys experienced that, yeah, like, uh, you, know, you know, seeing people you haven't seen for a really, really long time and then seeing new people, like the confluence of people from, you know, all, like, you know, the last however many 20-something years of my life all, you know, found it important enough to be in Chicago was, was very, very moving and very, very cool and, and felt, like, felt like it did a long time ago. Even if it was a quality 52 seconds. Even if it was a quality 52 seconds or, I mean, or days or, or minutes or whatever. I wanted to talk to you like more than, you know, I just wanted to see all my friends, but you and I had some shit to talk about and like, we got a minute, you know, know. it's awesome. It's awesome. And I I spent a lot of time with a lot of people. I mean, a, a little time with a lot of people. So I think that was enough, but I saw a lot of people seeing each other for the first time in forever. So that was Nice. I ended up, I had lots of different groups of people there, and the people I was originally going to go with couldn't go. And that was like two days before, like there was change, change in personnel in my experience. Wow. And so, I, yeah, I know, right? Um, you know, Grateful Dead is life, though, so it's not like, it's okay, of course, it's the Grateful Dead, something heavy has to happen. So um, I, ended up hang, <laughs> I ended up hanging out with um, my husband's oldest friend who, you know, he went to some of his first dead shows with his friend going back to middle school and his wife, and they live in Asheville. So, like, they, they know my brother. They, you know, they're uh, my, my husband's, you know, oldest friends. My daughter was in their wedding. So they're really, really close friends. I ended up hanging with them Saturday and Sunday. So that felt really good. And, like, I never see them, so... Um, and then, yeah, me, all my, my, you know, I lived in Boston. I'm from Massachusetts originally and my early nineties Boston crew, like was, except for one person, everybody was there and one of them stayed with me. So, I mean, I don't hang out with those people anymore. Oh, it was amazing. It was so fun. And, and, and we were all together in the same seats in 142 for Friday night for the fire night. 
So that was that was super super fun. So like there were so there were moments in the music where it felt close enough to pretend, and, but but the biggest thing that felt like the Grateful Dead was definitely the community and the people. That's awesome, Craig. What's your? Did you have any? This is the Dead moments on your the, the show that you saw. Um. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Even down to um, like little things, like uh, the the Grateful Dead almost could never really nail the the transition from Lost Sailor to Stay in a Circumstance, <laughs> and it's always just a little bit clunky and weird. And you think, you know, and and you always you always kind of give them a pass on it because <laughs> it's the good old Grateful Dead. And and even here, there was a little bit of a tentative, awkward moment when they when they when they did, and they pulled it off. They pulled it off really well. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I and and I remember, you know with anticipation as they led up to that moment thinking, are they going to do it? Are they going to stick it? Or is it going to be a little bit weird? It, it was <laughs> nice. Totally. So, I fist pumped early. So <laughs> I was totally exactly, like, <laughs> exactly. But it's, and that it's, was, that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So even down to those little sort of quirky things that you, you've come to identify with and, and, and associate with grateful dead over a long time period of listening uh, a lot of that was there too so and and you got to remember it's it's still bob weir and, and phil lesh and 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 they're still in many ways the same the same guitar and bass players that they were um way back when even if not the the same vocalists which should bring us to night one <laughs> well, yeah, well, so we want to get into some of the music, and um, we're going to chat a lot more about. It. And I, I have some, I want, I have a lot of questions for you guys, given that I listened to all this, the shows and didn't see them, and the the vocals, um, some of it was confusing to me. But um, I think we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, should we, Jonathan? Should we jump into the music? Yeah, let's uh, let's give these people something to rock to, and, okay. uh, <laughs> and they can come listen to us some more after that awesome um so we're here with um tanya who's at fractal gal and jonathan's at road j and craig at Chillwig, and scott is tour tweet um brad will hopefully be joining us soon um and we're at hf pod and so we're going to jump into part one we have about um eight tracks to play eight or nine tracks to play and then we're going to chat about them so enjoy the music and we'll um see you back here in a few
fourth day of July. Sun so hot, clouds so low.
born to be a bachelor. Althea told me, okay, that's fine. And you know, now I'm trying to catch her. Tell by the way. 
Let the words be yours, I'm done with mine.
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
Standing on the moon, I got no cobweb on my shoe. Standing on the moon, I feel so alone and blue. I see the Gulf of Mexico. As time, as a tear.
shadow on the sun Standing on the moon The stars go fading one by one I hear a cry of victory is cheap and vision true standing on the moon but I would rather be with you somewhere in San Francisco Thank you.
driven on the wind But dust that blows around The rain falling down now Never know Never know Got to be heaven Cause even rain was
Where there is no pebble tossed No wind to blow Reach out your hand If you cup be empty If your cup is full May it be again So uh, for this part, we just played some uh, highlights from Chicago shows, and we just heard Jack Straw, Althea, Cassidy, West L.A., playing in the band, Take it. Standing on the Moon, Sailor, Lost Sailor into Saint of Circumstance, and the Ripple Encore from the first night in Chicago. So guys, um, some great stuff in there. It kind of runs the gamut. What do you think? What did we leave out? Well, we have a whole other part, so don't hold us <laughs> to it. And uh, just tell us what you think. Um, 
RJ, you weren't there, but you've listened to all this stuff now. Why don't you why don't you tell us what you think? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll just start with the first. The just starting from from Jack Straw. I mean, the the this song and I think all the songs we played here. What's what was stunning to me, and I got to see the last night, the seven five show, the next night in London at a at a theater in like a movie theater with CJ, who's at Ingest seventy seven. I'm sure most of you know who he is. Um, and like the things that struck me were, and I saw this mostly in the Althea and the Cassidy was exactly what Craig mentioned. Just Trey playing these, his tone, the fills, the just the little riffs and the things that he had obviously practiced and memorized and and committed to to muscle memory um, was just super impressive. And I thought that that's like that was my biggest takeaway, starting with the Jack Straw. Um, and I don't want to like I don't want to start off on a down note, but then the opposite side of the spectrum for me is like how many songs Phil sang, and I realize that it's like it's the dead, and they get to do whatever they want because they're, it's their shows. But a couple of the songs when they started and he was singing, I'm like, oh really? I don't know if that's the best choice, but whatever, it's not my show, you know. Um, so those were the like spectrum of my emotions. I also throughout these songs that we played i thought billy and mickey were both really awesome like for for pretty old dudes to be rocking like that for that long i thought was super impressive so those are just some random thoughts i don't know if you guys felt the same way or not but starting with that that jack straw i thought was um really good um really really emblematic of trey's like ability to kind of memorize this stuff and just do it really well yeah, I thought the uh, Jack Straw. So they they came out at Chicago and they opened with Box, which was um, I don't know, it, a lot. It wrecked a lot of people in a good way. And oh, yeah, yeah. Phil sang, but you know Phil Phil sings Box. You know, and honestly, I thought Phil singing for the most part over the weekend was as good as Phil singing gets. Um, and and I'm I'm okay with it. But um, uh, when they got to Jack Straw after the Box, it was. Uh, Okay, good, good. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Trey just went nuts. I, I tweeted something about Trey. Are we calling this Trey Straw now? Because Trey just, you know, it was not Jer- straight Jerry licks, although he definitely comprehended the song in the way Jerry was doing it. It was definitely sounded like Trey playing a dead song, but it was awesome, I thought. And so I was, I was 100% in once we were in that song. <sighs> Sorry. Totally. That was the, that, that was the song that set that first night on fire. Cause after the box of rain that like, obviously it was very moving. Jack straw birth, the passenger. Right. I mean, <laughs> it was very, very hot. Lots and lots of fun. Very energetic. I haven't re listened to anything. So I'm oh, just wow. going off of just the emotion. I, I can't like, I don't want to analyze it yet. I don't want to, you know, at, at some point, I, I want to actually rewatch it all, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, you know, <laughs> just kind of want to remember the thing of, um, you know, for a while before I, you know, dig deeper. But yeah, I mean, that was that segment of songs after Box of Rain, starting with the super hot Jack Straw, really set the night um, off to a tone that never cooled off, really, until Ripple, which, you know. That should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like what uh, Jonathan was saying, you know, I think that everybody was reading Twitter during the week after Santa Clara. And, <laughs> um, 
you know, like to me, like I was one of the ones that was like, oh man, I just hate hearing, you know, Phil sing this song or, you know, complain about what Bobby sounds like now. But when they came out and he played Box of Rain, which obviously he sings, was, it was so fucking good. I thought, like, I really thought that was like, like Jonathan said, some of the best singing, like, that he's heard, you know, Bob do, Bob and Phil do, uh, you know, and ever. And, uh, so he crushes that, you know, and like, it's so good because, uh, it just, you know, it just, it just works as like a song to open up and kind of say, Hey, look, we're the grateful dead. We're going to sing when we sing. So then they go to the Jack Straw and fucking Phil starts singing again. And it was killer again. And then Bobby knocks out the next verse and it's killer again. Just like, just when I say killer, I mean, they're doing it great for those two, you know, like it just sounds great. And it almost sounds like they're kind of like angry, but then they're like, fuck it, man, we're going to just crush this show. And then like Jonathan said, you know, like Trey gets into some super like peaky stuff and he was crushing the jam. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but then kind of Bob sort of like let him on, like, go keep going. And yeah. it's like, ah, okay. And then Bob just kind of <laughs> like sang over it. And it was just like, so, so it was really good. It was just, you know, kind of funny, but I, I thought the whole song was just like super killer. So fun. Yeah, I think you could say that about that that set. I certainly came out of the first set thinking that they were they they have to be aware in some area some way of what people were saying, and it seemed like they were answering. Craig, uh, I I know you weren't at this night, but I, I surely you've listened and uh, gave it some thought. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I you know certainly the first night uh, webcasting at home. And I was uh, pretty pleased relative to, you know, what, what I expected after watching Santa Clara. And uh, I started to get, you know, more and more a little bit jealous as the, the, the set started rolling on because, of course, I was not going until the next night. Uh, and then, of course, the second set, uh, as that sort of unfolded on the paper, just, just was, it was like a body blow after a body blow and then an uppercut. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry the Twitter community didn't encourage you to go, Craig. Oh, uh, well, you know. <laughs> it's true. Some friends you are. Uh, true. Well, the uh, um Craig, what about the the I guess the night and we're kind of jumping around from these these tunes and we should we should maybe get into them in more detail cuz I know you guys felt strongly um about some of these. Um the the Jack Straw was the night you were there. Oh no, that was that was the third. That was the first night. Okay, so so you're the songs that you heard are a little bit later on. Um, I just I want to say just quickly, I saw the Althea and the Cassidy. The thing about the, I mean, the Althea we should talk about. It was awesome to see Trey singing. I don't know if you guys how it felt being there in the stadium. I think on the webcast that I saw it, it was. He he seemed like a little bit tentative in his singing. I wanted like I wanted him to be a little bit. I wanted him to own it a little bit more. But maybe that that's probably just me. But um, and then the Cassidy I think had like the best musical exploration moment of that third night from from my perspective in the uh, in the webcast. So I don't know. I'll just throw that out there and see what you guys what you guys think. Um, I just that was a really sad uh, way to work it in Truckin, you know, which, which was what, two piece from Santa Clara, is that correct? Just Truckin Cumberland? Truckin and Cumberland were the uh, repeats. So, yeah, the only repeats. So Truckin, Cassidy, Althea, Terrapin. Knowing the Terrapin was coming in, so, since you know, we're, uh, I just had 
say something about Robert Hunter for a second, if that's okay, because, you know, I was thinking, you know, I, I mean, obviously I don't know these people personally, but just, just have moments, you know, enjoying this and reaping some benefit from this, his lyrics are so incredibly powerful, and I guess I, I, I didn't mind how the Althea was played, I thought it was beautiful, and Terpin had to be coming soon, hopefully before drums, which it did, but just the, and then Terrapin being, you know, Garcia and Hunter's masterpiece, maybe, you know, and having the Althea before it, which is, you know, another incredible song. The lyrics are just powerful. Um, I don't really like the placement of it. Uh, and I found it really moving because of where it was played. You know, Bobby, 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 you know, Chuck and Cassidy and then Althea Terrapin. I thought was just an incredible combination of songs. That last set. Then the last set started with fireworks, by the way, too. So it was fireworks, right. truck and Cassidy Althea Terrapin. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I will so. say that um, I reversed the Althea and Cassidy when we were sequencing this thing, just because I kind of felt like we could go with a little Bobby Jerry, Bobby Jerry, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the old-fashioned way when I was just, as we weren't staying true to the shows anyways. Sure. Um, that's the only reason they got flipped on the uh, on this, but I thought the Althea was great, and and I definitely hear what you're saying, RJ, about the uh, Trey being a little tentative on his vocals at times. And I think that just comes from him not wanting to screw up the words. He had a teleprompter. You could see if you watch the video, you can see him kind of look down, and then he's looking up while he's singing because he's rehearsed them, but he is really trying not to screw up the words, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's something that only comes from getting to play these songs more than once in front of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, so that's, that's a drawback. I, I really do feel like this band, if they were to tour, they would, they would crush stadiums for years if they wanted, but I, I'm okay with them not. But um, I, Althea, for me, uh, also, uh, my, I named my eldest daughter Althea. Um, so I love that song, and uh, all my friends know I love that song, and they, of course, were very excited and giving me hugs when they played that. And, uh, oh. and I was very excited. And then in Cassidy, I, Cassidy had a really nice jam in it. I mean, Cassidy's often had jams in them and this one had a really pretty one, I thought. Um, so I was very satisfied with it. It was amazing. Nice. The middle of that, the middle of that Cassidy jam, I don't know if you guys like really listened to it, but it did like open up, you know, like oh, yeah. kind of twisted a little bit. I, I even wrote down in my, my HF pod notes, type two. I wrote nice. <laughs> awesome. Nice. And it happened again in another song in plan, which I guess we're coming up on after West LA. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, first of all, Scott, I'm really glad that you have HF pod notes. I don't know if it's like its own notebook that you just keep on your shelf and you just write in it for these occasions that we talk. It was the only line I had written, RJ. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so yeah, so West LA. Um, I don't. I don't know who suggested including that one, but but anyone should feel free to jump in on that if that was the if that was a, a highlight for you. I I, I just really love the way uh, Bruce took the uh, the lead solo. I mean, of course, Bruce's vocals were great all weekend, but and he crushed this one. But he, he took what would be Jerry's solo. Uh, as opposed to just letting it be a guitar thing, you, you listen to Bruce solo and it's just it's smoking, um, and uh, that was that was just a lot of fun. Totally highlighted that, beautiful. Nice, that's awesome. And then the 
I guess the the next thing here playing in the band that was something that I just I was I was really like feeling some experimentation. It felt like one of those it felt like one of those multi-segment kind of jams that you would hear at a fish show. Maybe this was more of like a fish fish esque jam um, when they got got through it. But um, I really enjoyed listening to it, even the part when Trey and Bobby got into going back and forth, and it got a little spacey at the end. I thought it was really cool. I don't, Scott. I, don't, I think that, is that the jam you were talking about? Yeah, it definitely had like that moment where it just like dripped off for a second, right in the middle, and then it it just worked the whole way. I, I actually think playing was kind of the coolest jam of the weekend, even though like. You know, I've always liked playing, but I'm just not like up on like, ah, this is going to be the one. But it really, I thought it was like, it suited that tune really well the way they did it. It suited the band, it suited what they were doing. And I thought it was like, you know, one of the standout like open jams. But I thought Cassidy was like that too. You know, it was really cool. Um, West LA Fadeaway, though, I didn't get to say anything. Oh my God, it's so awesome. It's such a sad like tune with all its depth, you know, and like what it's about. But it, it just remains so sexy and dancey. You know, so it's like, it's such a fun tune. I thought that was killer. That was one of my favorites, too. Who else said that? Did Jonathan say that? I don't yeah. know. I thought that was a killer tune for the weekend. Anyway, playing in the band. Woo! Nice. <laughs> Craig, any, anything to weigh in on on those? Uh, <clears throat> I, was, I was really happy to see West L.A., in that slot in the second set. And, and, you know, I know people were complaining about the, the placement of that, but, you know, you, I, I saw shows where Garcia opened the second set with West LA fadeaway. So you could see it, um, any point in the show when they were playing it, Garcia plugged it in almost anywhere. And, and it was great. And I was glad to see Bruce sing it. Um, I thought it was perfect for him. It's right in his range and, and his, with his stylings and, his kind of sort of ironic way that 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 he he phrases things sometimes, and um, I was I was really really Saturday night, especially the second set, surprised me because I really didn't have any kind of sense as to what songs we were due for or where we would get them in the set. So pretty much each song from from the bird song uh, set opener, which is is later in the show. Um, through space was um was, was sort of one surprise after another all the songs that i've forgotten that i really really wanted to hear and needed to hear <laughs> nice awesome. yep. and west la was one of them nice and isn't west la la about john belushi too so there, i was thinking the little chicago connection there as well true true nice i didn't know that i'll take it <laughs> and so you guys, um, Craig, I think you mentioned the the sailor and the saint, um, and then we also right before that had standing on the moon. And those are three songs that I'm not terribly familiar with. So I'd love for you guys to fill fill me and our and the rest of the maybe fish centric audience in on the importance of of those tunes, both maybe historically, but also here at these shows. Uh, this is Craig. Uh, with regard to standing on the moon. When, when the Dead started playing it, they started playing it in the first set, too, and it was a, a really kind of a compact tune. Uh, Jerry still was kind of working his way through it, and it didn't become the, the sort of second set, uh, you know, powerful ballad that it had become until it got moved into the fourth quarter of the show for the most part. 
Uh, and so this this standing on the moon that they played was was definitely kind of more of the the sort of rote uh, album version that they kind of played when they first started. Uh, really, I think it might have been spring of '89 when they busted that out. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I would have sort of hoped to have seen standing on the moon be that sort of epic soaring uh fourth quarter ballad the caliber of the stella that they played on saturday night but it wasn't and it, and it was good and it was great to see trey sing it i thought he did a good job with it uh it but it didn't um it didn't have the effect on me that it had on some of the other people maybe it was just the placement and 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 being so early in the show or maybe it was more than that yeah, it worked for me. I was uh, <laughs> I was completely wrapped by it. Uh, it, it was. Um, you're right. It wasn't, you know, quite the big fourth quarter uh, blowout like Stella became uh, that night. But it was, uh, you know, Trey gave a pretty honest read vocally. Um, a little bit of that tentative vocal that we mentioned before, but you know, he was going through it and he played really nice solo. And the song is. Uh, sentimental favorite i love the lyric i think it's it's beautiful lyric uh it's great poetry from hunter there you know standing on the moon beside this flag and of course it has the uh fourth of july the red crimson white and indigo imagery you know uh it's got a little bit of that uh environmental and uh anti-war message that you got from uh hunter and also from bobby elsewhere and then uh but really it just comes down to you know, as wonderful as all this may be, um, I'd, I'd just rather be home with you. And that's just beautiful to me. Um, and it worked. I thought it worked really well. Nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally agree with everything you guys are saying. And I think uh, that it was respectfully placed in the first third song in the first set, um, probably consciously, you know, to not have it be the blowout, you know, that it was in the, you know, the later Jerry years, I thought was respectful. Um, and I thought Trey did a magnificent job with it. It was very beautiful and stunning and, um, had just the right amount of emotion in it. You know, he did, it was, it was just right. There you go. Awesome. Well, I can't, I can't top that. Um, that's great. Thank you guys. And what about this? So the sailor and the saint, so lost sailor, um, song from the, they first started playing what in the early eighties, maybe early 1980, yeah, 1979 79 yeah okay. yeah and then into saint and is that um i guess that you know that's a common sort of um transition but craig tell us about about your take on that um why you like that combo how this one how this one worked well it, it was it was a common transition uh from 79 up until uh, the last lost sailor was march 24th 1986 which uh, for me, meant that I didn't get to see one because my first show was the night before that on, on March 23rd, 1986. So they played the last, oh, wow. very last sailor the next Oof. night. And then, you know, I caught a couple standalone Saints, um, uh, both with Brent and, and later with, with, uh, with Vince and, and Bruce. But, uh, you know, that was one song that I'd always hope. And then they would bust out, you know, Unbroken Chain and, and Loose Lucy and Black-Throated Wind. 
but but no lost sailor, no lost sailor, and and I don't know why they why Weir bagged it. I mean, I, I assume it had to be Weir's decision. Sometimes Weir, I don't know if he falls out of love with songs. I remember they he tried to rewrite the lyrics to Black Throated Wind um, <laughs> when they busted it out again in 1990. It had had a whole mess of new lyrics, and then wow. he played it played it that way for four or five shows, and then went back to the original lyrics again. So maybe it had something to do with that. Um, so, and again, add to that, not expecting necessarily to see it. Um, and, and especially in that slot after golden road. Uh, and, uh, I was just, I, I got, I got the major chills and it was this nice drawn out long, uh, sort of, uh, loungy, slithery beginning to Lost Sailor, and Bob didn't come up for several measures to sing, which allowed some nice interplay between Bruce on the piano and Trey on the guitar for that intro. And uh, I was, it was my favorite part of the show, frankly. I was, uh, I, I was a 90s dead fan. I mean, I didn't see them in the 80s at all, so I never had a chance to see Lost Sailor, and to see it there, I was... I was ecstatic by it, and and you mentioned, by the way, I'm just going to take this opportunity to say you mentioned the interplay between Bruce and Trey. Um, that was a constant all weekend, and um, I'm really looking forward to uh, Trey and Bruce's uh, duet tour this fall. Um, let's uh, let's get some backing behind that idea. <laughs> awesome. Well, the um, Scott, anything to add on those or, or Tanya? Uh Go ahead, Tanya. You go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, that was the highlight of that night. And it was because, and focused, and clear, and passionate. Um, he really it, it seemed to be uh, enjoy. It, he was definitely up for the occasion. It was really, uh, you know, a lot of feeling this uh, event, or the series, you know, these five shows off, a, you know, a lot of the burden did lay on him. He, you know, how many of you guys saw him a year ago? Was that a year ago, two years ago? And it was, you know, he was here a couple of weeks before his collapse, and um, it was bad. And um, and so seeing him, you know, so strong and clear and passionate and, uh, again, very moving and very exciting. And so uh, it was the highlight of the night for me, which is, you know, weird. That typically is not be light of the night. But, um, um, you know, for, for me it was anyway, um, for just, just to see, you know, to see Bobby that strong. Uh, he And... Uh, played those with a lot of passion and, you know, obviously try and, and I don't know, I think this seems to like the Bobby super enjoyed playing with Trey and was like, definitely, you know, like, um, I don't know, not finding the words right now. Cause I'm feeling a little bit emotional thinking about it, but um, I hadn't seen Bobby looking and being that good for a long time. And so that sailor saint really um, was kind of a big moment for him and he can't, Imagine it being any better. Love you, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> um, I saw I saw the Dead play it in two thousand nine. It was like really slow, and they played it massive, <laughs> I think. And uh, you know, this is a little faster, but they practice it, man, and they fucking kill it. I thought, and um, you know, I think uh, I just have to agree with all three on what they said. It was just like a really magical moment. I really feel like I saw, you know. A great version of that, which is awesome. I don't need to see another one for quite some time, honestly. Wow, nice. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And then the the last um, song that we included on this part is was Ripple. And Jonathan, I don't know if you you threw that one on there or not, but um, nice, yeah, nice way to end it end it there. I, I I don't know how we could not play the Ripple. Um, it it was. Uh, I I'm not even sure. I I would. I don't think it was expected. How could you expect anything? I mean, we just been through. We'd heard Santa Clara. We've been through a whole show with no repeats of the previous two in California. You know, they played Mason's Children first night. You know, we've been through Scarlet Fire, New Potato Caboose. I mean, in fact, that first night after Drum Space, I mean, Mason's Children, Scarlet Fire, then Drum Space, which is awesome. New Potato Caboose playing, Let It Grow, Help Slip Frank. I mean, it's just so packed, this set. And they come back for an encore. Who can even begin to figure what they're going to play for us at this point? There's so many things, and they play Ripple, and it was probably one of the last things on my list of expectations. Very high on my list of things I would if you had asked, I would have said, yeah, I'd love to see a Ripple, but I never thought they would really be doing it, and they did it, and it was beautiful. And if you didn't cry during Box, you probably cried during Ripple. It was... Uh, it, it was a moment. <laughs> nice. Anyone else have thoughts on the ripple? <laughs> well, I will just a little. Was '88 the year of the ripple bust out? Yeah. '88 or yeah. So the the woman who was staying with me is a super dear old friend of mine. Um, she saw every show in '88 except for that one, oh. and she was totally chasing the ripple. I know, and it was because of a wedding. You know, sister had to get married, oh, and so wow. <laughs> and so I was with her for you know, the one in Chicago. So that was pretty cool. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I know, I know people who who walked out of the venue at the Cap Center in '88 during one more Saturday night because they thought that was the end of the show, yeah. right. and then they're outside the doors <laughs> when they hear the band going to ripple, and they. And they were just, they totally owned themselves. And, and they were, they, 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 you couldn't get them to leave during an encore after that for a long time. Hi, I'm Scott Reese at Tortweed. Oh, I no. swear to God, that was me. That was you? Oh, no. Ow. Look at Craig laughing at me. I swear I walked out and I was like, I just stood there in shock. I just got to stand there in shock. Yeah, wow. just stood there in shock. I could hear it, you know, you could hear it out there. <sighs> God, yeah. so I, I was at the time, time, but uh, in the it, it was probably ninety three, ninety two. I was I was in a parking lot somewhere. Maybe the, I think it might have been night four tickets went on sale at Cap Center actually, and so we were up there uh, just talking with the people hanging out. And this guy was beating on the conga drums, and he was like, "You seen some shows here?" I was like, "Yeah, I saw some shows here." And, you know, he's like, man, I was here for one time. And he tells the story, the same story about the ripple. And he says, you know, and we uh, we heard one, we we keep ready to go, and we're standing at the edge of the entrance, and they start playing one more Saturday night. So we run outside and we fire up the hibachi, and we're starting to make grilled cheese, and there's nobody coming out, and then there's nobody coming out, there's nobody coming out, and then finally some people start coming out, and you're like, and they're looking all starry eyes, and like, they played ripple, man. I'm like, I didn't believe them. Another guy comes up. They played Ripple Man. I was like, oh, shit. Never leave a show to the lights come on. Never leave a show. He just repeated it like five or six times. And and I, I listened to this, and I was like, you know, that makes really good sense. And so I never leave a show till the lights come on. <laughs> because good, of that. good lesson. That's a great That's lesson. A good lesson. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. So that 
I think that or, wraps. Or don't sell grilled cheese. That could be. Maybe. Well, that's that's another important <laughs> that, lesson to consider in life. Different one, a different one, and a less more of a yeah, more of Commerce. an economic um, yeah question. But um, <laughs> so guys, we're gonna um, we're gonna end part one there, and um, thank you all for your uh, your insight and your reactions. I feel I feel bad that I was you know complaining about lyrics and. I don't even. I wasn't even there for any of these dead shows. So if you guys want to make fun of me on the internet or 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 right now, that's fine. Um, but we okay. will we will continue to to talk about these shows um, in part two, where we're going to play another set of songs and then and then discuss them with these guests. So thank you all for listening. This is um, we're on the internet at hfpod.com and um, we're on Twitter at hfpod. And Craig is at Chillwig. Scott is at Tour Tweet. Tanya's at Fractal Gal and jonathan's at road j um so if you're not already following them you should be um and thank you guys all for for taking the time this has been really fun thanks for having us thank you all right (laughs) awesome radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 